Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning. My name is Joe Cox, and this is my wonderful wife, Regina. We are the um, very proud parents of Anna Kate, Leah, and Sarah Bell, all baptized believers in Christ. We have been members since 2016, and during this time, both Leah and Sarah Bell accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and were baptized here. As we strive to follow Christ in our lives, we are grateful to call First Baptist Belton our home. This church holds a special place in my heart. What a wonderful group of believers with such a reputation in history. My mother attended and taught Sunday school at First Baptist Belton when it was where Domino's Pizza is now, while she was a student at UMHB just after the war. Through the years, she and we have had many dear Christ-following friends that were members of this church. The Andersons, the Hobbses, the Kemps, the Kirkleys, the Thompsons, just to name a few. When we moved back to Belton when I was 10 years old, Jeff Thompson asked if I would like to ride with them to an out-of-town football game. My mother, being careful and vigilant as she was, called around a little bit before she would let me go. All she heard was what fine, godly people Larry and Kathy Thompson were and that they were active in First Baptist Belton. That was all my mother needed. If they were active in First Baptist Belton, they were fine people. Since we have been here, we have been so impressed with the professionalism of the staff and the vibrancy of the ministries. We've taught Sunday school and life group, served on committees, and I serve as a deacon. Our family has been involved in children's ministry, youth choir, uh, youth group, choir, and mission activities. We remained impre- we remain impressed with the execution of the programming and the enthusiasm of staff and members. We know the Lord is working here. It's an honor to participate in what He is doing and, and to contribute to kingdom work in this place. Um, you can see my my testimony is in the printed uh, distributed document. Um, as the Lord led Peter to proclaim in the Gospels, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, I, and on a personal level, he is my shepherd. And I am privileged to be among the sheep of his pasture. My testimony is much more about God's provision and grace than it is about me. Just as Andy would pray at baby dedications that the child would never know anything but Jesus, I was raised to never know anything but Christ and his gospel. My testimony cannot be separated from the influence of God-fearing ancestors who came before me. I had godly parents who had godly parents. In 1937, my maternal grandfather was saved at a revival under a brush arbor at Taylor's Valley. That same, the same evening as my mother. Salvation was transformational in his life and the life of his family, which laid a godly foundation for grandchildren and great grandchildren 
he would never see. In 1948, largely influenced by his mother, my father surrendered to the ministry. After his seminary training, he served in many churches and then as a chaplain in the Navy for 23 years, including a tour in Vietnam. In 1972, the same day I was born in Temple, he baptized three sailors on a beach in Sardinia. From the influence and teaching, from, from this influence and teaching and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. In 1980, at 801 Cabrillo Avenue, Coronado, California, where my dad was the chaplain at the Naval Amphibious Base, every once in a while, I used Google Maps Street View to see the window under which I prayed with my parents 41 years ago and ponder God's goodness and love. The Lord, by His grace, has allowed me to walk with Him through the years since, and as we know, thankfully, sanctification is a process. The Lord has been faithful even when I have faltered and has always provided strong, godly counsel through loved ones. I strive to follow and obey, and when I grieve the Lord with my sin, I confess and I ask forgiveness through Christ my Savior. In 2000, the Lord blessed me with a wife who is more than I could have ever hoped for and do not deserve. He led me to a godly woman through a mutual minister friend with a devoted heart toward his service, who I love exponentially more now than when I fell in love with her first 22 years ago. The Lord has blessed beyond measure, and I'm very thankful. I believe gratitude, obedience, and service are intertwined, and I look forward to serving him more. A couple thoughts on being an elder after the elders visited with me about possibly uh, being one or being nominated. I sought the Lord in his counsel. As I was praying through that, I think just in my own self, uh, in my own contemplation, a couple of concepts kept coming up. One was my unworthiness, and then the second was my family. I do not feel worthy of this honor. This thought reoccurred often, but was soon followed. But he is worthy. He is worthy to be praised, and he is worthy of my service. Also, I'm known by my family. Many of y'all don't know me personally, but know my family well. They put a polish on this old stone. I believe the Holy Spirit is working mightily through them. Regina and I have sought the Lord's guidance from the very, very beginning of our children's raising, and he has been he has been faithful more than we could have hoped for. Our kids more and more are following Christ on their own accord, deciding to serve him. To God be the glory. Nothing outside my own personal walk with the Lord compares to or do I value more than the support I receive from my family. They minister to me as I strive to lead them. So I'm not worthy, but I'm willing and humbled. I'm nothing special, but I strive to follow Christ, the risen Savior and Lord, and am blessed with family support greater than I could ever wish. With that, I consider it an honor to be nominated to the post of elder. Thank you, Joe. Well, um, as per the, the process that's laid out in our guiding documents, uh, Joe has now given his testimony to the church, 
And so now for the next two weeks, you as a church body have have the opportunity, if, if there are any concerns that you are aware of for either uh, Randy Anderson or Joe Cox, you can put those in writing and you submit them to uh, Randy Hughes as our chair or, or uh, Bobby Johnson as our vice chair. And then the elder body would take that under consideration. So you have two weeks to do that. And then in our business meeting on August 22nd in that evening, we will vote and affirm uh, these two men to be our next elders. And so uh, that is our process. So I needed to let you know that. And, and here we go. Joe, thank you so much. Thank you so much. God is obviously working in your life. And, and uh, we're very humbled just to, to be a part of that, small, small part of that. So <sighs> not ashamed. Last week, our sermon, uh, our sermon title was uh, The Gospel for All. And we talked about how the gospel, the grace that is offered in that gospel, is, is true for everyone, for non-believers and believers. Non-believers need it, and they need to respond to it. They're either going to affirm it or they're going to reject it. Believers, we, you know, we need it every day. We need the grace of God every day. And our response to it is to live by it, to live by faith in it, and to preach it and to share it. And, and so we, we talked last week about the concept of shame and are we, are we ashamed? Are, and, and we pray that we never have any regret of our decision to follow Jesus or any hesitation to be associated with Jesus. And so uh, this week, uh, as we kind of progress in our thought, uh, the title for this week's sermon is, Who's Your One? Who's your one? As mission pastor, I've said that I want our church to have this kind of mindset about missions, that missions is who we are and not what we do. How do we know? How do we know when missions is who we are and not what we do? When, when we as a church, when we begin to see hundreds, if not more, of people coming to faith each year in Belton and around the world, we would know that missions is who we are and not what we do. When our conversations center around meeting the needs of the poor and the hungry and the lonely, when our actions follow up these conversations, when, when many, if not most, of our church members live a kingdom-focused life, Without a program from the church, we would know that missions is who we are, not what we do. When our prayer requests, when our prayer requests are dominated for those that we know or suspect do not believe in Jesus, the lost, when our prayer requests dominate a burden for the lost rather than just those we know to be ill or sick, we may be transitioning to a church where missions is who we are and not what we do. For missions to be this, for missions to be who we are and not what we do, it will take all of us. It will take all of us. It will take the elders. It will take the staff. It will take the deacons. It will take Sunday school teachers and all leadership. And each of us, you, no one is immune. No one is left out that we need an understanding to be on mission with God. For our church to be a church where missions is who we are, not what we do, our burden for the lost must be overwhelming 
and our desire to follow the Lord undeniable. We cannot be ashamed. The picture here is a picture of a church that simply oozes a love for people to meet both physical and spiritual needs. And when we think of this in a, in a big, overwhelming way, or when we think of this in an overarching way, it can be overwhelming. So for today, for today, for today, I'm asking you to bring it down to one. Not everybody, not Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth, not uh, the entire Belton and Bell County area, not the people group that maybe you're sent to uh, several times a year or often, but but one. Who's your one? Last week's sermon had one point and four questions. This week's sermon has one question and a whole lot of points. Uh, last week I preached about, I think about eight minutes it felt like, and I reserve the right to re- uh, the rest of my time to, uh, today. And so uh, hopefully you'll get to Sunday school. No, you, you will. You'll get to Sunday school. So when you hear a sermon, when you hear a sermon about sharing the gospel, right? I mean, you hear it every so often, a few times a year, and you're compelled, hey, you've got to share the gospel. You've got to share the gospel. There's somebody you've got to reach. Go. Who is that one? I would submit to you, because I know I have one, that whenever I hear a sermon like this, my thoughts always go to the, the same person or maybe just a, a small group, one or two, three guys. So who is your one? Who is that one person that when you are challenged to share the gospel, God brings that person to your mind? Let the image of that person percolate in your brain for a while. See their face. Know their name. Identify them. Who are they? Who is that one? And let that now rest in your back of your mind as, as we go to the sermon. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 today. Acts chapter 13. So you can turn there. So as you turn to Acts chapter 13, I, I want to tell you some of the story in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, uh, beginning, I'm kind of beginning in Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen. If you know about Stephen, Stephen preached a sermon. It, it was an incredible sermon. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit and, and he was challenged. And, and as he was preaching, the people became, or the leaders became more and more agitated. And then finally he said some things that just went too far. He preached without apology. He preached without reservation. And for that, he was stoned. He was murdered. And on that day, when Stephen preached this great sermon in Acts chapter 7, on that day, those who believed in Jerusalem were scattered. They were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and eventually beyond. They they spread along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They spread to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea. They spread to the south along the Negev and into Egypt and uh, uh, maybe even across northern Africa. They spread north to Antioch, near the northeast corner, a little town, a little city in the northeast corner off of the Mediterranean Sea. The gospel was spread a great distance through persecution. 
But the Bible tells us that at this time, when someone shared Jesus, at this time it was only being shared with the Jews. In the meantime, Saul is there. Saul is a young man who is, you know Saul, he's persecuting the church. He's doing what he can for the Jewish faith. He's doing what he can to squelch this little movement of Jesus followers. And on the road to Damascus, he has an encounter with this Jesus that he's trying to squelch. And through this process of the encounter with Jesus, he eventually gives his life to the Lord. Well, Paul goes to Jerusalem to learn more about the faith, to explain what has happened to him. And eventually, as Paul is sharing in Jerusalem, his life comes under threat. And the believers who remain in Jerusalem send Paul off to his hometown, to Tarsus, for protection. And he's going to learn more about his new faith there. In the meantime, Peter is still being used by the Lord in great ways. And in Acts chapter 11 or 10, in in Acts, Peter preaches to Cornelius, shares the gospel with him, a Gentile, and a Gentile is saved. So then in Acts chapter 11, we begin to see a shift where the gospel has begun to be shared with those who are not Jews. And some men from Cyprus and Cyrene go to Antioch and begin to share the gospel. And there, Gentiles begin to come to faith in this little town called Antioch. Word gets back to the Jerusalem church that those who are not Jews are beginning to accept Jesus. There are Gentiles who are beginning to come to faith. And in Jerusalem, they send Barnabas up to Antioch. And Barnabas is going to be a discipler. He's going to go to Antioch and begin to disciple all the new believers there. Barnabas realizes this is an overwhelming task. I can't do this by myself. So what does Barnabas do? Barnabas goes off to Tarsus, finds Paul, because he knows Paul to be a great man, a brilliant man. Uh, and by now he has, he has grown in the faith. He, he picks up Paul and takes him back to Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas begin to disciple the believers there at the church in Antioch. In fact, you know, in Antioch is where the believers first were called Christians. And so there's a a man named Agabus. Agabus foretold that there would be um, a famine. The church in Antioch, this new band of believers growing in their faith, decided to bless the church in Jerusalem. They take up an offering, and Barnabas and Paul get to take the offering down to Jerusalem, and so they do so. Barnabas and Paul take the offering to Jerusalem. They do their work and uh, uh, send the offering. They, they serve the Lord, and then they return to Antioch. And I want to read some scriptures here, verses 1 through 4 of Acts chapter 13, that really describe this church, this church called Antioch. So Acts chapter 13 Verses 1 through 4. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Real quickly, I'm just going to give you some characteristics of this church at Antioch. And I I hope that these can be characteristics of First Baptist Belton. Verse 1, the church of Antioch, this very special church, was full of strong teachers. They were a variety of men, too, from uh, many, many different places. Uh, But regardless, this church at Antioch was full of strong teachers. In verse 2, we can see that this church of Antioch had a heart for worship. They worshiped. It was something very important to them to give honor and praise and do to the Lord they followed. So they had strong teachers and they had a heart for worship. Also in verse 2, there was a sacrificial seeking of God's will. They, they fasted. They were a fasting church. They sought God's will sacrificially. So this church of Antioch had strong teachers, had a heart for worship, and they sacrificially sought God's will. Also in verse 2, this church was sensitive to the movement of God. They listened. They heard and listened to the Holy Spirit. Scripture says, the Holy Spirit said, which means they heard. So this church was full of strong teachers. They had a heart for worship. They sacrificially sought God's will and they were sensitive to the movement of God and they took God's will seriously. Even after they heard from the Holy Spirit to set apart Barnabas and Saul, in verse 3, they continued to fast and pray. They took the will of God seriously. Also in verse 3, they supported one another in ministry. We can see that by the laying on of hands. So this church was full of strong teachers, had a heart for worship. They had a sacrificial seeking of God's will. They were sensitive to the movement of God. They heard the Holy Spirit. They took the will of God seriously. And they supported one another in ministry. Also then in verse 3, they were ascending church. They sent people be on mission with God. You can see that when they sent them off. Is First Baptist Belton, are we a church full of strong teachers? Do we have a heart for worship? Do we sacrificially seek the will of God? Are we sensitive to the movement of God? Do we take God's will seriously? Do we support one another in ministry? And are we a sending church? Hey, by the way, this week, something that didn't make it into the announcements, and and my fault, my bad, the Carly Cox Group, uh, our adults on mission, they are meeting tomorrow at 3.30, and they will be hearing a report tomorrow from the Seattle Mission Group, a group that was sent by First Baptist Belton to go on mission. So I encourage you, uh, if you would like to hear about this Seattle mission trip at 3.30 tomorrow, up in room 225, you can come and be with the Carly Cox Group and adults on mission. Uh, Also this week... As ascending church, uh, on uh, August 14th, uh, Apple Tree is in session, and on the Helping Hands website and in, on our app, you can click the link that can let you go sign up. 
to serve this Saturday in Apple Tree. In fact, I looked just yesterday and there's still 56 spots remaining for people to serve on that day. And so I encourage you, if you want to be sent, if you want to live a sent life, uh, go to Apple Tree this this next week and and serve and serve our community well and love them love them well. The Church of Antioch was a was a special church, and um, and I pray that First Baptist Belton will be a church like the church in Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas they're sent out in verse four. It's so interesting in verse three it says the church sent them off, and then in verse four it says the Holy Spirit sent them. The reality is that's actually two completely different words, sent. In, in, in verse 3, when it talks about the church send, sending, that word is actually uh, oftentimes translated released. They were released to, do go, to go do God's will. They were sent. It was a releasing, but they were released to do God's will. And then in, in verse 4, the Holy Spirit sending, that's the more traditional scent. So we understand it's the Holy Spirit who sends and it's the church who agrees and releases its members to go do great things for the Lord. So the Holy Spirit uh, sends Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus. They cover that island from one end to the other. And then they sail northwest and they land in modern-day Turkey. And they ended up in another Antioch, a different Antioch than the ascending church. So they land in another Antioch, some several hundred miles from their starting point. And then in Acts chapter 13, uh, beginning about where I'm about to read in verse 14, we actually see Paul's first recorded sermon. We know about Paul. We know his letters. We, we know how much he's written. We understand his theology. Uh, he's just an incredible man to help flesh out uh, the tenets of Christianity. But in Acts chapter 13, we actually have the first recording of, of his, one of his verbal sermons. And so uh, let's take a look at Paul's sermon. Let's pick it up in verse 14. So they went from Perga and came to Antioch and uh, Pisidia. And on that Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God. So Jews and Gentiles, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put them up with, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel Savior, Jesus, as he promised Before his coming, John proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, 
sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God... But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up from him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you this good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Paul's first sermon's pretty good sermon. Thought he did a pretty good job. Paul, as far as I can tell, had four major movements in this sermon. In verses 16 to 25, Paul focused on the activity of God in history. Paul focused on the activity of God in history. That's kind of his first movement in his sermon. In the second movement, from verses 26 to 32, he shifted from the history of God, uh, the activity of God, to the message of salvation that included the story of Jesus. So he went from the history of the activity of God to the story of salvation in Jesus. Then verse 33 to 35, and in verse 41, he uses scripture to support his claims. So he he talks about the activity of God in history. And he shifts to the message of salvation, including the Jesus story. And then he includes scripture to support what he's saying. And then finally, in verses 38 through 40, he shares how salvation relates to his listeners about the forgiveness of sins, freedom and grace, and the warning not to reject this message. So, in his sermon, Paul had these four movements. The activity of God in history, the message of salvation, including Jesus, supported by Scripture, and how it relates to those he's talking to. So, it all starts with us having a burden. I want you to bring the image of your one back to the forefront of your mind. Who is your one? 
Who is it? Name, name them. Make sure you have a name. Make sure you know their face. If you don't have a one, if there's not one that God comes to mind, then pray for a one. Pray for a one. Pray for God to give you that burden. If you've never had that burden to share with the lost, pray for that burden. God, give me the burden for someone. Just one right now. Somebody that can be mine. Somebody that only I can reach. Pray for that one. And when God gives you that one, then you keep praying. Keep praying for that one. So, as a church, we want to be a church that releases you, that sends you to reach only those whom you can reach, sending you to your one. Pray every day. Seek to build that relationship with that one. And over conversations, I suggest that you could use Paul's approach. Over the conversations with your one, who, who is your one? It could be your coworker. It could be a fellow student. It could be a family member. It could be a checker at a convenience store you visit. It, it could be your next door neighbor, your fence neighbor, your back door neighbor. It, it's somebody who walks a dog when you walk your dog and, and your dogs don't get along and you're embarrassed. And I have a dog that doesn't get along with, with anybody. And when we're out on a walk, and another dog comes along, it is so embarrassing because he's this little chihuahua dog. And if he were a big dog, it would be scary, but he's this little dog. And everybody goes, oh, you're going to hurt me. Anyway, um, so what I'm getting at is your one can come from anything. It could be the person you pass because you all have a pattern of both walking at 530 in the morning or 830 at night and you cross them in the street and you have small talk with them. But maybe God... Maybe that's the image that's come to your mind with your one. So let me encourage you with your one to do what Paul did. Paul talked about the activity of God in history. I encourage you not to be afraid about the talk about the activity of God in your own life. What has God done for you? Give God credit. When, when the person you're talking to says, man, you have a great family. I love your family. You have a great family. That, dude, that has nothing to do with me. That's the grace of God in my life. That's a simple way to give God the credit and talk about the activity of God in your own life. So Paul, he talked about the activity of God. Don't be afraid to talk about the activity of God in your own life. Secondly, at some point through the course of this conversation with your one, you'll start talking about the message of salvation. You'll talk about what Jesus did. That's kind of the next step, what Jesus did. And then at the same time, that third thing Paul did, he shared scripture. Never be afraid to share scripture with someone, even if they're not a believer. They have, you, uh, they bring up a problem and you say, you know what? I was just reading a verse about this the other day. Can I share it with you? Nine times out of 10, they're going to say, yeah, please do. They'll love the encouragement. So talk about the activity of God in your life with your one. Don't be afraid to talk about the message of salvation. Everybody needs it. Use scripture. Encourage them with scripture. And then eventually, you'll, you'll get to them how this relates to them. About the forgiveness of sins. About the grace of God. And you'll share with your one these things. And when you've done so, you have shared with them the gospel. I want you to picture in your mind... Picture in your mind, you, you have a one. Close your eyes. Just do this. Humor me. Close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything funny. 
close your eyes. You have a one and you, you pray for them. And you imagine doing the things with this one that we just talked about. You, you share about the activity of God in your own life. You, you talk about the message of salvation. You bring up Jesus. You share verses with them, encouraging verses, verses about um, how, to, how someone becomes a believer. You pray with them. All, all the while, you're praying with them. You're praying for them. One day you share with them how this really relates to them about the forgiveness of sins and the grace that God offers. And lo and behold, your one says, I like that and I want that. And so you, you actually pray together with your one. You pray together and you imagine what is happening that this authentic prayer of submission to God that they offer. And all of a sudden, your one is no longer on the side of faith that would lead them to hell, the lack of faith. They are on the side of faith where they have it and they possess it and they possess this faith in Jesus. And their eternal destiny has changed from hell to heaven. And you sit beside them smiling. The way you just be amazed at how God is using you. Imagine at the same time now that person, they are up in our baptism behind me. And either you're in the audience and you're, you're watching them or perhaps you're even up there with them or you're in the water with them. And they, uh, they get dunked out of the water. Then they come up out of the water and the church claps and you just smile ear to ear with what God has done in and through you with your one. A few weeks later, a few months later, their wife or their husband or their children or their neighbors or their parents also come to faith. And your one has turned into many when that happens. If you still have your eyes closed, you can open them. When that happens, missions becomes who we are and not what we do. Father, I pray for our church today. I pray that we'd be a church that's not ashamed of the gospel. And I pray that we'd be a people who are taught well, who teach well, who worship passionately, who seek your will seriously, who seek your will sacrificially, uh, people who send one another to be on mission with you. I pray that we would be a people who seeks your will in regard to uh, sharing you. I pray that we'd be a people not afraid to talk about the activity that you have in our lives. I pray that we'd be a people not ashamed to share the message of salvation and the Jesus story with those we love. I pray that we would be a people emboldened to share your scripture for an encouragement and direction. I pray that we would be a people who desperately seeks to share you with those who desperately so need you. So God, I pray that you would give each one of us a person, a one, a someone that we could reach. 
someone that we could share our lives with. And I pray that we would not neglect your sending of us. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning, if you would like to receive this Jesus whom we've talked, if you would like to become a believer, if you would like to cross that line of faith I talked about just a moment ago, uh, you can do so today. Um, I'll be right down here on the floor, right in front of this table, and I would love to chat with you for a moment, and then I can pair you up with someone in our church who can help walk you through those steps. Church, if you are a member here or a believer here and God is giving you a one, then that's, that's, that's you. That's, that's God sending you and it's this church releasing you to go and to be his hands and feet and to be his voice. So you deal with the Lord how you see fit this morning. Uh, let's stand together. If you would like more information, visit our church website at www.fbcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.